Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Our um, session uh, today has Christmas been hijacked by Santa Claus. My name is Suzanne Lennon, and I teach in the Women and Gender Studies program at the University of Lethbridge. Um, as you know, there's a couple of housekeeping things that we have to do uh, before we get started. So just to remind um, anyone that has a cell phone to turn it off. Um, I will be moderating the session today, and as you also know, probably a lot of you, that the session will be uh, recorded. Um, also a reminder to pay your $10 uh, for your lunch, which is in the basket on your table, um, and to delegate someone at your table uh, to count the money um, prior to SACWA collecting it. Uh, the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs is a volunteer nonprofit organization that relies on contributions from its members and the community. Um, so memberships are available from the lovely Lisa Lambert, who is sitting right here. Um, we'd like to thank the University of Lethbridge for support and distribution of notices, um, Country Kitchen Catering for providing a great lunch, um, Shaw TV for broadcasting the sessions, um, Sundays at 4.30, and the Lethbridge Media for covering SACPA events. So as you, most of you probably also know, the format is um, our speakers for half an hour and then our lunch. And then today, because we're starting a bit late, we'll probably have an abridged Q&A session so that we can wrap up at 1.30. So it is my pleasure to introduce uh, two speakers today, so a little bit of a different format. Um, first up will be Dr. Trudy Gauvier, who is a professor of philosophy at the University of Lethbridge. Her interests are in the areas of critical thinking and social philosophy. She's the, num uh, the author of a number of journal articles and books. Um, she has organized public lecture series and philosophy cafes and has worked with Amnesty International. And then following um, Dr. Gauvier's uh, talk, we, that will be followed by Dr. Yositsa Yalamova, um, who is an associate professor of finance at the University of Lethbridge. Um, she's interested in risk measurement, analysis of market crashes, phase transition, and chaos, and is also very well published in her field. <laughs> um, so I, we are very honored to have um, these two women with us today, and I'd like us to start by introducing and giving a warm welcome to Dr. Gauvier. Suzanne is taller than I am. That happens actually for quite a few people. Anyway, I'm very glad to be here. I'm glad to be invited, to have been invited. And I'm also glad I made it because my husband and I were driving here from Calgary and um, we got rerouted due to the trouble in Claire's home. Uh, he was saying that this person who decided to commit these murders uh, apparently didn't know about this meeting and he, he quite inconsiderately committed these murders he or she at about three this morning um, so anyway I'm happy to be here when I first moved to Lethbridge back in 2005 
I had a teaching schedule that made it possible for me to come to some of these talks. And at that time, Howard Forsyth was still alive and was quite a presence at these talks. I don't know whether Howard would agree with some of the things I'm going to say today, but I would just like to dedicate this talk to his memory. Um, all right, I had never, until about a month ago, I had never really thought in any depth or detail about um, issues pertaining to Santa Claus and the celebration of Christmas, and Tad Mitsui suggested to me that this, this might be a good thing to think about. So I began to do some research on this and found it very interesting. I'm going to make a number of references to the legends of St. Nicholas, and I might sound when I'm doing this as if I'm Dutch. I'm not Dutch, but my husband was originally Dutch, and I did live in Holland for two years and had occasion to experience some of their celebrations of St. Nicholas. So what I say about his stories and um, myths is actually based to a small amount on personal experience, but only quite a small amount. Now, the story of St. Nicholas is that he was a bishop um, in third century Greece, which is the area where he lived is now part of Turkey. He was raised to be a devout Christian, was at one point imprisoned from his faith. Um, he was known for his extreme kindness and generosity. Um, one particularly oft-repeated story is that Nicholas had given money to supply dowries for three poor young women who, without these dowries, would have been either sold into slavery or into prostitution. He also was associated with ships and with the rescuing of sailors who had come to trouble in his area. Um, he, was, he had traveled at one point to the Holy Land. He is reported to have attended the Council of Nicaea in AD 325, and he spoke out against the Arian heresy. And one legend, which you can find on the internet, is that when he went to this council, he wasn't quite as agreeable as usual, and he actually slapped somebody in the face for that person's heretical opinions. Um, anyway, uh, the remains of St. Nicholas were moved, for what were believed to be the remains, were moved um, into Italy in about the year 1000. And St. Nicholas, due to his reputation for helping the poor, his reputation for generosity, kindness, and love of children, was one of the uh, best-regarded saints in Europe until about the time of the Reformation. He um, Somehow the story came that he came to live in Spain, and when he was in Spain, he acquired an assistant. Now, this assistant in Holland, is this is a little bit of an embarrassment for the Dutch today because the assistant is referred to as Black Pete. And when you're in Holland, um, you'll find that in the month of December, in the latter part of November, if you're in a supermarket or something, there will be uh, Black Pete. So there's women, Dutch women, with blackened faces, handing out little gingerbread cookies and so on. This is a relic of the legend of St. Nicholas. So when the Protestant Reformation happened in Europe, 
um, saints became rather disfavored. And um, as a result, St. Nicholas lost some of his standing, but the Dutch were very loyal to him. And as we know, the Dutch um, settled in the New World and founded New Amsterdam, which is now New York. So um, in New York, they were celebrating their customs as well as other things. And my story now jumps into the late 18th century. Now, the American Revolution, of course, happened in 1776. And from what I read, in, by 1773, a lot of the people in the U.S. were becoming rather irritated with the British. So they had an interest in getting a set of Christmas traditions, Christmas-related traditions that weren't English. And in, in the, this context, the myths, the stories of St. Nicholas began to be cultivated again by the Dutch in New Amsterdam. You'll find if the little Dutch songs for, for St. Nicholas Day you can relate them to Santa Claus in this way. You, they talk about St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas, and uh, the good saint, and then Claus is Claus, like in Santa Claus. So there's a connection. I'm not just talking randomly about this St. Nicholas. He is connected with the Santa myth that is so strong in our culture today. Um, in any case, in the 19th century, um, there was an evolution or development of these stories about gift-giving and this good person who gave many gifts to children, and that story was transferred onto Santa Claus, a different figure. Now, just to give you a little more idea of the difference, St. Nicholas was typically portrayed as slim, and he typically wore bishop's clothing, whereas Santa Claus, you know, has, has a different kind of um, image, a more portly um, image, and always wears a red suit. Now, from what I could understand, in the 19th century, there was a, a, a book about children's celebration of Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas, which I'm sure everyone here would know, went all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, so on and so on. That story was very um, important in the development of the Santa Claus myth as were a number of drawings in the 19th century by an artist called Thomas Nast, and then a famous Coca-Cola ad in 1931, which prefigures the connection between Santa and commercial interests. But there are mysteries about Santa and St. Nicholas. I mean, many of them, I'm sure, more than I ever came to study. But one of them is, how did St. Nicholas get so plump? And another is... How did he start going around with reindeer? Because the St. Nicholas myth in Holland still is he sails on a ship from Spain to Holland, delivering all these gifts to the children who have behaved well. Well, I mean, at least it would be physically possible to sail on a ship from Spain to Holland. It's not physically possible to have your chariot towed through the air by reindeer and so on. So, I mean, you'd, you'd wonder about these various things. And... I, I was able to find out that what's happened with Santa Claus is we have kind of a merging of two different sets of myths. So apart from St. Nicholas, there's the um, Norwegian or Viking god Thor. And Thor was plump, and he wore red and white, and he lived amid ice and snow in caves at the North Pole, and he had a chariot, and it got pulled around 
by two goats. So I think what we have with Santa Claus is the merging of these um, two things. Now, um, all right, so enough um, history. The values in St. Nicholas originally, kindness, generosity, care for children, solicitude for the poor, rescuing, these values are persisted through the St. Nicholas myth to some degree, and some of them have elements in the Santa Claus story. So I'll leave you to reflect how much of that has disappeared and how much of that we retain. Um, Now, as for Santa Claus, um, you may be interested, not all of you probably know this, he's actually has been declared to be a Canadian by no less than Jason Kenney, who announced this in 2008. And Jason Kenney said that if Santa ever did need to go through any Canadian airspace, which presumably he would to do his job, um, he has Jason Kenney's and the government's permission to do this. Um, Santa has a postal code. It's O-H-O-H-O-H, and it fits the pattern of Canadian postal codes, and it's claimed that this is recognized around the world. His flight is traced by NORAD, and so on and so on. So everybody here, I'm sure, is very familiar with the highly extensive Santa myths that we have today. Um, And we can all ask ourselves to what extent traditional values are carried by these myths or are betrayed by them. I just want to say a tiny bit about gift-giving. The notion of the gift is that the gift should be freely given. It should be altruistically given. Um, It should be an expression of love, generosity, concern for the receiver. And I think you don't have to actually be too cynical to arrive at the conclusion that this notion of gift-giving is compromised by our Christmas practices. We now, we don't just give gifts to the poor. Some of us don't give gifts to the poor at all. We don't just give gifts to to children. Um, We give gifts to everyone, and there's a high degree of sort of coercive social pressure and burden uh, associated with this. So um, that's certainly um, something that we can think about when we come to Rosita's presentation on the much harder topic than my own, namely the topic of Santa and commercial interests. So um, just tell me how much, where are you? Two minutes. Okay, well, arguments against the celebration of Christmas, the way we do it. Okay, I'm going to go through this really fast. Okay, one argument, it's too pagan. Lots of pagan elements, evergreens, light, feasting at the darkest darkest time of year, celebration parties at the darkest time of year, lots of drinking and so on. Go back to pagan times, people coping with winter as best they could. Um, So you could say, well, Christmas is too pagan. Another argument takes the opposite tack and says, hey, What are we doing now? We have a multicultural society. We have people here who are atheists, who are agnostics, Buddhists, Taoists. We have Hindus. We have Muslims. We have Jews. We have all kinds of people. And the problem with Christian Christmas is 
it's too Christian. So that's an opposite set of arguments, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, there's, uh, oh, just I'm getting, so I need notes. Okay, so other arguments against um, Christmas. Well, here's my, this is my own. It's too much work, and especially if you are a woman. So that's a, a definitely a problem that um, we could have. The main issue, I think, about the celebration of Christmas as it is in our culture now is that this Santa legend has been so taken up by commercial interests that some of our original values about kindness, generosity, the merits of gifts, the special status and role of children, that these values are really, to put it mildly, um, threatened. So I'll uh, leave you with uh, in Rosita's good hands for the commercial aspects of this topic. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Trudy. Uh, yeah, that's a very difficult task now. Uh, first, I would like to thank the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs for the kind invitation. Uh, this unique forum for discussion of local, national, international issues. And uh, I'm honored to be part, a part in a dialogue with Trudy, who is a recognized scholar in philosophy. On the other hand, I cannot match the eloquence of a philosopher. I am simply a financial economist, which you will see will transpire throughout my presentation. But I try to introduce, I welcome this challenge to introduce a pretty controversial topic for further debate. So after careful consideration, I chose to keep the holiday spirit in and the doom and gloom of the current economic situation now. Honestly, what is the state of the economy? Who can answer this today? I tried to think about all the presentations of the current situation on TV and other media. You may, might have already noticed that the business news from our revered senior business correspondent Amanda Lang rarely contain any tangible information. She always manages to bring mixed feelings of where the economy is headed. Obviously, she leaves up to us to view the glasses half full or half empty. I wish our economists acquire more philosophical outlook and understanding of the temporaneous of our existence. And as a financial economist, I might not be able to recreate the warm, fuzzy feelings of festive celebrations, so I looked for help in the arts. So Trudy was talking about Holland mostly. I'll bring in for help the man who invented Christmas, whose birthday we'll be celebrating, whose 200 birthday we'll be celebrating in February, and who have almost single-handedly created the modern idea of Christmas, and whose popular depiction of the festive period became a blueprint for generations to come. 
and trying with this seamless transition, please welcome my very controversial, optimistic view on the economy during the holidays. <laughs> okay, Santanomics. When you start doubting the existence of Santa, you become an economist. As you start asking practical questions. So what is economy? What is economics dealing with? I want to bring to your attention your class Economics 101. Many of you don't remember what they studied. For me, economics is this study of allocation of scarce resources. Obviously, we have very hard time marrying these two words or reconciling the magic of Santa and the pragmatic position of the economic theory. In essence, economic is the study of efficient allocation of scarce resources. And unfortunately, the origin of scarcity is in our increasing desire to own stuff. When we stop looking at Jones's having more and wanting to outdo their position, the economist's job will become much easier. This allocation will be much easier. And to remember economics on a lighter note, my favorite joke on efficient allocations pertains to this picture here. That illustrates the concept of allocation. The brains are the most efficiently allocated resource. Everyone thinks they have more than the others. So they don't ask for more. Is it efficient allocation in classic economic terms sufficient? This year, we also celebrate a milestone in the world's population, 7 billion. Increasing pressure on resources requires complex view and managing that will bring fairness in the distribution. Sustainability over the long run. Unfortunately, classical economics theory shares the drawbacks of short-termism and Pareto efficiency, uh, which are the exact roots of those two problems. Disturbed intergenerational equity inspires in the Occupy movement. Baby boomers may feel that their children may face difficult economic and environmental reality. So we have to think about more intergenerational equity and intergenerational equity. Okay, let's go on the lighter topic, back to short-termism. Let's live in the moment and worry later. How else we can explain the staggering levels of consumer debt, large part of which is a result of our Christmas shopping? Economics propose that we max our utility by smoothing consumption. But during Christmas seasons, we overeat, overdrink, overconsume, and we buy extreme amount of useless presents. This brings a lot of stress on our physical and financial health. So how to maximize Christmas giving? 
economists like to talk about dead weight loss. So the dead weight loss of Christmas, in other words, comes from the difference of the value you put in a present and the, and the, the value that the person derives from this present, from this gift. So if we are able to exactly guess what somebody wants and how much they are willing to pay, that will have the exact perfect gift and will have no dead weight loss. But suggesting that it's a very difficult task, we'll be better off just giving out checks, although it looks a little bit inconsiderate. And finally, I want to mention another <laughs> myth about Santa, Santa Claus Rally. Probably most of you know what's going on on the market, how uh, oil yesterday lost $5, the previous day gained $3, how the market uh, this December didn't surprise us with a, a Santa Claus Rally, although the statistics show 73 percent of the times the market is up in December. Unfortunately, this is a very, very short-term um, outlook on the economy, and whatever we have created for our traditions, what uh, Trudy was telling us about the social cultural uh, values that were created for many years, we can destroy them in just a few years with our unfortunate marketing strategies. What are the side effects Christmas have on us? What are the other costs? And um, very few of you may know that uh, my first education was in medicine, so I wouldn't miss this opportunity uh, to, uh, to give a heads up on the uh, changing nutritional routine and gaining weight during Christmas, overeating, increasing of blood sugar, food poisoning, and other consequences that uh, Christmas brings with all these celebrations. Uh, I would like uh, to leave more time for questions, and just on a lighter note, I want to finish with, with a, uh, <laughs> one of <laughs> the radio show's comedies that in case Santa bankrupts the North Pole, lays off the elves, which is a pretty um, feasible scenario in the economy, uh, he will get a government bailout and Mr. Klaus, Mrs. Claus becomes a self-help guru and runs against, the, against Santa in the North Pole election. Okay, thank you very much.